and I've just seen amazing things through Roxanne and Rick, and we are blessed to have good folks like this at High Point Church. And so I'm going to just turn this, this Bible stand, this platform over to my friend Rick Langford this morning. I love you, brother. <laughs> and if uh and, and and just just showed up just uh just thought i'd come by and see how you're doing or i thought i'd give you a call and, and see what's what's happening and uh that's if that's not a god thing then then well that's a god thing that's just <laughs> there, there is nothing else but, oh, and by the way, thank you very much, Andrew. That's, uh, it, you, many of you are probably sick of hearing me say this. I, I say, and, 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 and if you run away, I'm just going to say it louder, but I always say, start with prayer. We go to prayer first. It's never a last resort. I cannot stand to hear somebody say, well, all we can do now is pray. No, it's not all that's left. That's what we do first. Andrew, you, you, you knocked it out of the park. Thank you very much. And the service this morning, if every church everywhere opened a service the way that High Point Church opened this morning, this would be a much better place. It would, it would be much, much better. Not this place, but, but this place. So you may have a favorite chapter in the Bible. Whatever chapter I'm studying becomes my favorite so, you know, from, from one day to the next, they're, they're, they're all favorites. All uh, 1,189 of them. That's how many chapters. Are, it's in, that's the King James Bible. If you don't have your favorite chapter, maybe this one we're going to go over today will, will be yours. It's, it's a good time. It clarifies our relationship with Christ in a mo- most unique way. It ties together all the ways that the gospel brings us as his people, him being a shepherd, us being his flock. Uh, In the book of John, we find that uh, what may be the most comforting and hope-filled passage in the whole Bible. It is here that Jesus explains that we belong to him. Church, bow your heads to the Lord. I want to pray for you this morning, for, for all of you. Thank you, Father, for this truth. We can see it. We can hear it, Lord. We know that this message is is, is, is what you gave us, Father, and, and, and it was recorded by inspiration and preserved in, in your Holy Scripture, and you gave it to us, Lord. I pray that this would speak to hearts today. I pray for clarity for those who, who need to realize that, that just because they're in a church, it, it doesn't mean they're a Christian, Father. We, we, we realize that if they say they're a Christian but don't hear your voice, they are so close, Lord, and, and, and don't let them lose you on Judgment Day. Don't, don't, don't. We, Father, we, they're so close. We don't want to hear that you don't know them on that day. Lord, others may, may have walked away from you. The enemy wants them to, to, to listen to him instead of your voice. Father, we pray that your voice be the loudest of all in our hearts. Lord, we, we move in their heart for those that need to repent and experience renewal before their time comes out. Father, 
Lord, and, and uh, I, I'll include myself into my prayer for the church this morning. Father, I pray that you'll speak through me, Lord. Uh, that, that this, I speak for your glory and yours alone in Jesus' name. Amen. In school, we used to play a game called Red Rover. It's probably banned now, like most fun things. Um, for anyone that's never played Red Rover, it's where you have a group of, of guys. Sometimes the girls get on on it, but uh, it's, it's mostly the, the, the guys. It's the, you, you, they, a, a lot of times they are. Um, the, the, you, you link hands, and you make a, a human wall, and the teams face off from about 50 feet away or so, however big the play yard is. You call out a member of the opposing team, and you say, Red Rover, send the Flemini Bimmon over, you know, whoever, just pick a name. And uh, they charge downfield, and their intent is to break through your majestic and impenetrable wall of third graders. But the, to, to start out with, two captains picked from a bunch of guys, and they, you know, a lot of times it's a, it's a popularity contest. You pick your buddies, or, or you pick whoever the, 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 the biggest guy is that's going to do the most damage to the other guys. And, and there's always a hopeful sense of angst. When, when you're, 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 you're trying to get picked, pick me, pick me, you know how the kids do. Well, it was wonderful to be picked and, and to belong and, and, and to know that you were wanted. That's the, the ultimate expression of, of that is right here. We belong to Jesus. He calls us my sheep. Or probably more aptly, mine. Here Jesus says, you are my sheep. There are Christians who struggle with the fear that, that they're losing the salvation and their shepherds. Where they go wrong is the error that they got it. They didn't get salvation. It was given by the Lord, and no one can take that away. Jesus made it, himself made it abundantly clear. Those who receive salvation through Christ cannot be snatched from him. That's from the Bible right there bank on that the more we understand about what jesus says about us as his sheep and about shepherding and it it, it, it means to what it means to belong to him the more comforting that it does become by the way sheep that's our focus today. that's the name of our our, our our message today is sheep that word occurs 40 times in the new testament it's 21 times in the gospels of john the series of john and it's 16 times in this chapter alone so the point of that is when you see something repeated in the Bible, it's very significant. If, if you see something repeated, pay attention to that. Maybe go back and, and read it over, pray about it, whatever, because that, that means something. In this chapter, 16 times, sheep. This is the mother load of understanding the concept that he has and us being a sheep. And it's, uh, as he's speaking, it, this is really neat. We can connect with this, this event when it happened and where it happened, how it happened. It's the winter. Jesus is walking on the great portico of Herod's temple. If we look at the words John wrote in verse 22, we can pinpoint exactly where this occurs in the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. Uh, where it is in the calendar and where it is geographically and, and culturally. The, the, the first lesson of this is Jesus taught us that, to, that what we're looking at in 1022 that it's he, he taught in the month of december right we got that they're celebrating the festival of lights that's why they're there it's we call that hanukkah it's an old celebration jesus is there with them uh, a little background about that two thousand years ago or so give or take a 
century or two. Jesus was speaking to a, a group of people um, and where he was at. If you've ever seen Jerusalem in the news, um, they usually show a building with a big, big gold dome, big top. It's, um, it, it's called the Dome of the Rock. Uh, in the background, if, if the camera is looking east, you'll see the eastern gate. That's where Jesus was speaking when he, he, when he sp spoke the words that, uh, for our, our, our study today. That's where he was walking. It was called Solomon's Portico at the time. And uh, in the wintertime, uh, that meant cold rain, uh, some snow in that area. Um, but but it's, it's regularly cold rain, and that's why he's under the cover of the portico. He can address the people without anybody getting wet and, and miserable. Uh, you know, Jesus had a human body. I'm sure that that body didn't like to be cold and rained on either. So they were all kind of ducking out in there. And that's the spot that it's associated with him saying, you are my sheep and I am your shepherd. The early church met there. And uh, uh, backed up by that is Acts 3.11 and uh, Acts 5.12. That Both of them say that that's where they met, Solomon's portico. Or in the south, we call it the back porch. Um, okay, so we got it's cold, we got it's rainy, we got that it's December because of Hanukkah. Um, it was that Hanukkah was an event that was commemorated, commemorated some 170 years before Christ's birth. The short version of that is the Syria's guys came down, they conquered Jerusalem, they went into the temple, slaughtered a pig where its blood would run all over the altar. Um, it obviously was in defilement of the temple. Um, they thought that, they, that by doing that, that they had done in, in Judaism. They thought that, they, that the Jews would all just disappear by, by them doing the pig blood thing. Well, the Jews weren't taking that. A uh, group of them, they, they took up arms and they drove out Syria. That's the nice version of it. Somewhere in the historical, there's mentioned there was one of them that had a hammer. And this guy wasn't a carpenter. That's what he used to, in, when he was in battle. So um, they're, they're probably a pretty formidable bunch. So the message today is based on chapter 10 of John's gospel, verses 22 to 31. We'll see how clearly Jesus says who belongs to him, how he assures us that no one can take our salvation away. Onward to chapter 10, verse 22. You guys just relax. Today I'll read to you. It was now winter, and Jesus was in Jerusalem at the time of Hanukkah, the festival of dedication. He was in the temple walking through the section known as Solomon's Colonnade. The people surrounded him and asked, How long are you going to keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus replied, I have already told you, and you don't believe me. The proof is the work I do in my Father's name. But you don't believe me because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one can snatch them away from me. For My Father has given them to me. He is more powerful than anyone else. No one can snatch them from my Father's hand. The Father and I are one. The last verse here is, verse 31 is, once again, the people picked up stones to kill him. These people are something else. If you've read John or you learned about any of the earlier stuff, they were losing their minds in John chapter 5. 
and chapter 8 and chapter 9 and here in chapter 10. They were unhappy about what he says. He says, I'm equal with God. We're not the same person. We are one in essence, but we are different persons. The son is not the father and the father is not the son, but we are one, one God in three persons. And they said, no, you're not. I guess that's all they could think of, but they, they wanted to stone him. So in this entire chapter, Jesus speaks more about sheep and us as a sheep than anywhere else in the Bible. My sheep is Christ's powerful term for believers. Remember, Jesus said, if you're a believer, you're my sheep. You're not just a sheep, you're mine. When we think about Jesus, though he came as a sacrificial lamb, he calls his church his flock. He calls himself the true shepherd, the good shepherd, the chief shepherd. Jesus relates to us like we're sheep, and he's a shepherd, and he calls those he leads in his church place shepherds, or he calls them under-shepherds, the leaderships that represent him in the church. That would be Pastor Dave, an under-shepherd. Under-shepherd David. <laughs> well, Peter 1.5 says that we're going to act as under-shepherds to the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ. Uh, Paul says when he's writing to the elders, he, he, he calls them shepherds, overseers, and elders. So in God's mind, overseers, shepherds, and elders are the same group. Um, these are godly people who lead the church. Uh, it's the one term that goes all the way through the, test, the New Testament and ties together how he looks at us. Jesus never calls us Christians. He rarely calls us believers. He sometimes refers to those as disciples, and he often calls us servants. Universally, from cover to cover, it's the shepherd and sheep idea. Psalm 103, uh, uh, it's it acknowledged that the Lord is God. He made us. We are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Hey, uh, back in Genesis, the, the, the first book of the Bible, 48:15, when Jacob was dying, he said, God has been my shepherd all my life. When, when King David, who knew a thing or two about sheep, being that he himself was a shepherd, when he wrote the book of Psalms, he knew God was a shepherd. Psalms 23:1, also known as the 23rd Psalm, it says, the Lord is my so this is a huge, powerful term for us, and it's the most integrated term, but it goes back to the earliest church, right from the portico. They looked at themselves as sheep, and that's why they like to meet on, meet on the same porch where he taught this message. A point of clarity, when these guys said they, they, they like to meet where Jesus actually spoke, these were the earliest church. This was right at the very beginning of what we call the church. Jesus while he does call believers by more than one name, it's just we, we, we want to know that when something is repeated, it's important, like I said. Next point, why does he call us sheep? Why doesn't he call us whales? Our, 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 our mighty stallions? Or maybe eagles? I'm one of Jesus' eagles. No. No. Nope. He calls us sheep. That's what... God uses to universally call us. And now it's fixing to get real in the house. Okay, y'all? It may be because sheep are the most helpless creatures in the known world of zoology. 
of all the major animals that people know about, sheep are the most helpless. They always lose their way. In the circus, you can see almost every known animal performing, but you will probably never see any sheep performing any tricks. And you, we, we can teach cats and dogs and farm animals. Anything that can be taught in a crap can be taught with the apparent exception of sheep. You can teach a mouse or a mountain lion, but you can't get a sheep to learn anything and repeat it. Perhaps the Lord was considering the utter helplessness of the human family and just shook his head and said, we're just going to call them sheep. That's just different. For those of us who don't know much about sheep, most of us don't because there ain't any sheep around here. We have no reason. We tell you about cows. We can't tell you about sheep. Most of us only find them at the Greek place with, you know, on the gyro, under, under the onions and peppers. But that's what is the picture that we're supposed to have? Well, here's some truths. Number one, as sheep, we need constant guidance. If you know anything about sheep, they are truly helpless. They, they're, if there's a pasture right in front of them, they are apparently incapable of finding it for themselves. Someone has to come down and guide them. And that's the idea that as his sheep, we need constant guidance. That's where that comes from. So that's why God said, looking at humanity, Isaiah 53, 6, all of us like sheep have strayed away and we're in constant need of guidance. Above all the creatures associated with man, sheep is unquestionably the dirtiest. I would have never, I would have, the first thing I would have said was been a pig. It's a sheep. They're the dirtiest. The natural tendency of wool in its raw and natural state is to suck up any defilement that gets near us. Sheep are apparently very absorbent. There is an unpleasant odor that is natural to sheep. Uh, I was reading uh, what, what a guy was, was, was saying about them. He, a guy went to a business trip in New Zealand. And he said there was more sheep there than people, apparently. And he, he, after his business meeting, he, he took in the sites and uh, toured a giant sheep farm. And I guess that's, that's what you do in New Zealand. I don't know what else there is there. But um, so it was unpleasant. There was this, he says unique. He's a nice guy, but that, that meant awful odor. They expected to see fluffy white sheep, and all they saw were these miserable animals with waves of dirt and mud and other crusty organic matter. I'm not sure what that last one meant, but it's, it's got a pretty good idea. But any poet or writer that sings the praises of sheep uh, frolicking in lush green pastures and all snowy white, they've never seen them in natural condition. The more that a sheep moves about, the more that dust coats them until they become basically the same color as the terrain they're walking through. They become walking dirties. Since sheep are among the only animals that are incapable of self-cleansing, the dirtier a sheep gets, the more helpless it becomes. That's why the Lord... It says, the Lord is my shepherd, and he leads me to stilled water. Sheep can't go plowing through a moving river like cattle can. If a sheep goes in a river, the way that a sheep is built, they lose their balance because they're top-heavy. The wool starts to fill up with water, and they invert feet up, and they sink straight to the bottom, and they drown. 
they're very afraid of water for that reason, and sheep don't take baths. It, uh, as, as a sheep, we are in constant need of guidance, cleansing, and we need constant care. Sheep, there's one thing that, that uh, among others, excuse me, is that sheep are, they're very tender creatures. They're always suffering and in pain. When a sheep are shorn, it's rare to find a pelt that isn't scarred or a carcass that isn't bruised. It's like going to the store and you find this perfect pair. You want to get it home, but by the time you get it home, there's a, there's a giant bruise on it. And you say, I, I didn't do anything. It, it's, it's just bruised. And that's how sheep are. They're easily hurt, scarred, bruised. They spend half the day crying out in pain because of their physical distress and the rest of the time bumping into something that hurts them again. They have no natural joy. You almost feel tender about them because they're so helpless. The, the only redeeming thing about a sheep is its helplessness, that its inability to do anything. You, you just want to help them. Our good shepherd saw us in utter need of guidance, utter need of cleansing, and utter need of care. Our great shepherd died to redeem and rescue and save the helpless sheep that could not cleanse themselves of sin. And we are the dirtiest as humans. We're the dirtiest because we were made in the image of God, and yet we gravitate towards sin and we absorb it. So our good shepherd died. The only way to rescue sheep headed for destruction was to come down and show them the way out, and that's exactly what God did in Christ. When John the Baptist saw Jesus, he said, he's the lamb. Jesus, as the lamb of God, was the perfect personal fulfillment of the Jewish sacrificial system. The point of chapter 10 is this, that his true sheep knew the voice of Christ and about their shepherd and to follow him. And what this is about, look to John 10, 1, I tell you the truth, anyone who sneaks over the wall of the sheepfold, rather than going through the gate, must surely be a thief and robber. A believer enters through Jesus. Jesus is saying that if anybody's getting saved, if you want to know if you're really going to heaven or not, you got to come this way. There's only one way to heaven. There's only one way for salvation, and that is through Christ. Jesus said, I am the door. And the lesson here is the believer hears Christ's voice. That's why they enter. The believer, the gatekeeper opens the gate for him. The sheep recognize his voice. They come to him. He calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them. But since we've never seen this, that's, you know, that, that sounds kind of poetic but nowadays livestock is done commercially and in, in, in large-scale outfits there's there's some around here um, th there are areas that still have sheep raised in the traditional ways uh, many for organic purposes or some are for tourism remember the thing in New Zealand but as they did then the shepherds would bring the sheep to a well to water them they would draw the water from the well and they would put it in a trough for the sheep you would see about 10 to 12 shepherds that are all tending to their own sheep, and there would be a mass of 900 to 1,000 a, a sheep just milling about. When the shepherd puts the water in the trowel, his sheep drink the water, and then they get pushed out of the way. As soon as he realizes they've had enough, he starts walking away. He whistles and says a few words. 
from the most amazing thing. Out of a thousand dirty, dusty creatures, all of a sudden, 80 of them go alert, and their little ears go up. And they keep listening for that whistle. And when they see him, they start going against the crowd. And about 80 of them bump and push until they get outside of the perimeter there, and they go after their shepherd. They identify him because they heard his voice. He knows which ones they are, and they know which shepherd is theirs. They will run from anyone else. Well, that's, they, they, it's uncanny how they I, I can, can identify just the tone of that one voice, even if they don't, even if they don't see him right away. And, you know, that, that impresses me, because, and, and, and we live in a world of identity theft. We live in a circle that's wider than anyone's ability to recognize us. If you're talking to someone online or by phone, you, you never know who they are. I, I got a call from a, a very concerned gentleman, uh, said he was from the credit card company. Um, yeah, I'm not sure where he was going with that. He was having trouble understanding my accent. Um, but I, I said, well, how do I know it's you? He said, how do I know it's you? He says, you need to tell me your social security number. I said, well, you need to tell me yours. At that point, I guess everything was okay because he hung up and he's going to go help the next person, I'm pretty sure. But, you know, we're outside of the circle of even knowing who, who we can trust. But the shepherd spends his time with the sheep, so they recognize his voice and they follow him. And that's exactly like the believer hearing Christ's voice. That's the connection. What exactly was the door and the gate reference that we were talking about? Uh, we were talking about these pins. They're called sheepfolds. The, the sheepfold is a pile of rocks. It's made of its walls. They're about 8 to 10 foot high. That's six cubits for you Noah's Ark fans. Um, the enclosure had about a, a 24 to 36 inch doorway. The shepherd would stand there and he would let only his sheep come in to his sheepfold. He knew every one of them. He counted them every time as they would jostle and push their way in. When the last one is safely in, he takes his cloak, puts it around him, and he sinks down, and he becomes the door. He blocks that entrance so they can't get out, and no predators can come in. The predators and thieves find it difficult to get over those jagged walls. They know the resolve of the shepherdman getting through the door would have to be over his dead body. And over my dead body is the idea of Jesus being the doorkeeper. He says, that's how you get saved. You only come in by letting him in. People don't save themselves. You can't save yourself. What makes people think they can save themselves? It usually sounds something like this. Well, I follow the Ten Commandments, and, and, and I try to be a good person. I, I go to church on Christmas and Easter. Or this timeless classic, I was an altar boy. By the way, the need to regularly repeat any ritual or any works is over. You don't have to do anything on a regular basis to get into heaven. Christ has washed all of that away. We don't have to kill things and burn them in church. Thank the Lord, yes, amen to that, and the madam producer there, absolutely. 
if you're really saved, if you're really in the fold, you came in through that door. John 10.10 says this exactly. The thief's purpose is to kill, steal, and destroy. That, by the way, is a description of Satan. You know why people that don't follow Christ generally don't like the Bible? They're listening to the devil's voice encouraging killing and stealing and destroying and the immorality and everything else you commonly find in the media, normalizing evil. They want you to believe it's neutral. Nothing is neutral. Church family, nothing is neutral. It's either for God or against. There is no middle ground with God. There's an evil ruler in this world, and there's a true living God. You can't be on both sides. No one can serve two masters. Can't be both ways. Usually you can tell who's following who with little effort, sometimes not. I've heard it said that you should preach the gospel everywhere you go. If necessary, open your mouth. That means that Christians live, with Christians with a healthy faith, live their life in such a way that people want to be like them. They want some of whatever it is that they have, these happy people. If they're act, the, 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 back in the book of Acts, uh, people started looking at the disciples and they said, these men have been with Jesus. What a thing for somebody to say, to, to recognize you as that. That's, they're acting like him. They're thinking like him. They're responding to him. They're not afraid and they're bold like Jesus. And by the time we get to, the, to, to chapter 11 of Acts, right, somewhere in there, they, they, they call them little Christs or Christians. That actually was not a compliment. That was a disparaging term. Um, but it really was a compliment to the, to the followers of guys. You ever had somebody insult you and you didn't get it? You're like, thanks. <laughs> that's, that's all good. But what does Jesus say? He says, when you're following me, you'll have life that's more abundant. And if you say, I don't really feel like I have life that's abundant, well, there's one of two answers for your dilemma. Either you don't have his voice in his life, or something is stifling and muffling out, and you aren't hearing his voice. If you still have an appetite for sins of the past, you know that sin separates us from the blessings that God has done for us. In fact, a Christian is really born again, persists in sin. They feel like an unbeliever, and they tend to act like one too. To have accepted God's gift and, and walk away, this is one of the things that I always say, there's nobody more miserable than someone that knows God and walks away from him. I've known people that, 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 that were saved, that they went back to an old life, and they, they walked away from God, and their life has been lousy ever since. But a Christian who's, who's really born again, to have accepted God's gift and walk away only to die and be cast into a vast, fiery pit created to punish Satan forever... That place, it, hell wasn't even attended for us. For me, that personally, that is the biggest single tragedy I can think of to, to, to be destined for heaven and God's glory. And to, to it's, it, that's permanent. That's, there's, there's, no, there's no return from that. Kind of got to uh, 1026. Jesus says, you don't believe me because you're not my sheep. Remember when the sheep, the shepherd whistles, calls a few names, starts walking? Jesus said, 
you're not in that group, you're not following, you don't belong to me, you're still milling around that well all dirty. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, they follow me. That's John 10, 27. So let's unpack 10, 27 right here. That's, that first is 13 words, but there is a lot to it. First, the, the, the believer responds to God's word in the scriptures. My sheep listen to my voice. It's hard to explain how you witness to someone and they're ready to hear Christ's voice. You, you speak the word of God and the, to the most unlikely people and it's like the first time they hear it. They, they, they become burdened for their sins and, and they become very sorrowful and, and, God, and godly sorrow works for repentance. It's because they hear his voice. My sheep hear my voice. The church family, the... the Enemy is very intent on preventing this. He constantly attacks our testimony. He constantly attacks our witness. The enemy can make us feel abandoned and like we don't matter, like, like we can't make a difference. If, if he can make us feel that way, he's got a foot in the door toward making us ineffective. That's, that's why we go to prayer first and we lift each other up. That's why we gather together and encourage each other, check up on each other. You're doing okay. I'm fine. No, I'm not. Uh, you know, that's, that, that is, that right there makes it so important to fellowship with each other and your, and your fellow Christians. Okay, we're sure swimming in a sea of people that aren't. Well, look at the middle of that verse. Uh, a believer not only is Christ, uh, uh, responds to Christ's word, Christ knows them. At the end of verse 27, a believer responds to Christ's word. Look what happens. They follow me. That's the last one in, in that verse. So there's still a whole lot of people that, that say they belong to Christ, and they don't. Some, someone I knew many years ago would sit in the church and daydream about the 12-pack in the fridge and a bottle of Fireball waiting at home. He whistles, calls their name, and walks this way, and they're going the wrong way. <laughs> I don't know if Jesus face palms or not, but... After church, the evidence was on Facebook. Anyway, so like everyone else, when, when, when I, I got saved, um, I was going the wrong way. When I called his name, I heard his voice. I now follow him, absolutely not perfectly. I get sidetracked. I get completely lost. Praise God, he finds me. The direction of my life is this. I, I'm his sheep. I'm his dirty little sheep. I'm following him. I have decided to follow Jesus. So let's keep going to, to John 28. Um, the most reassuring thing, this is the part where I was talking about, the most reassuring thing in this chapter is a believer is eternally secure. It's a gift. Only those who with the gift of salvation through our shepherd's sacrifice are really saved. We didn't buy it. We didn't earn it. We don't deserve it. But he says, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Jesus says you'll never hunger, you'll never thirst, you'll never walk in darkness, and you'll never perish. Verse 28, and in verse 10, it uses the same word when it says the devil comes to kill, steal, and what? Destroy. Jesus said you're not going to be destroyed. For my Father has given them to me, and he is more powerful than anyone else. No one can snatch him from the Father's hand. He and I are one. And 
just, just quickly here. Jesus said, I am the resurrection of life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying and abundant life after this beat up body dies. Sounds like a really, really good deal. JB says, amen. <laughs> We're some beat up old firemen. Well, look at John 26, uh, 11, 26. Anyone who lives and believes in me, that's in the present tense, believes. I used to believe, believes in me. It's presented as you confess, you receive, you repent, you are saved on the spot in that instant. Don't confuse people by saying, well, I've always been saved. You haven't always been saved. You were born lost. So was I. Everyone's born lost. Jesus came to pay our price because of that. One last look at, at chapter 12. Uh, our time today is, is coming to a close. Look at what it says in John 12, 25. Those who love their life will lose it. Those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it for eternity. What is that? Does that mean that you've got to sleep on a bag of potatoes and wear socks with bad elastic and walk around scowling all the time? No, it does not. Not by any means. You don't walk around miserable and you don't have to hate everything. If your Corvette or your boat or your fill-in-the-blank is more important than God, then you have a problem. You can have cool stuff. Help yourself to whatever you can afford payments on. Don't let the stuff displace God. God has never been too happy with people who worship stuff. Anyone who loves the things of this world, truly loves the things of this world, it, it displaces the, the love of the Father. So we have the world, we have love of the world, and the things of the world, and Satan in this world, trying to conform Christians to all of that. We have, on the other hand, we have God. Nothing is neutral, we remember. Satan is behind the media. He's behind the music. He's behind the fashion. He's behind the culture and the customs. And Christians, if they're not careful, begin to incrementally conforming to a shape or to a direction or to a habit that is not of God, that Satan originated. Remember Lot's wife. Just saying. The Lord wants orderliness in every part of our life. God gives order, not confusion. Satan loves confusion. I don't, I don't want to be in any way conformed to what displeases my Savior. I want to follow him. I want him to be the first thing I orient my life to, and I want him to be the final word on everything. He begins and ends my life, and that's how I want to serve him. I am reassured by what most be the most comforting hope-filled passage in this Bible, and I hope you were too. Ron, if you will come up and worship team. Well, that's a piece of the gospel according to Christ. That's what Jesus says. If you've got the real thing, that's what you have. That's how it works. If it's not working, he's the one that can repair it. And that's why we've gathered here today. Amen. If... Uh, as, as the worship team plays, we started out this, this service so right. We started, we began with prayer. We went to prayer first. If you're not done finished, if you're not finished praying, come down front. 
we'll meet you. If you want to come down front and pray for somebody, there's somebody you want to accept prayer on their behalf. Somebody's not here. Neighbor, that, that, that cranky person that was on the other gas pump the other day, that just, just moved your heart. If you just look like that guy looks miserable, I, I got to go pray for him. This is a chance to do that. If you, why don't we all stand together? If, if you need prayer yourself and you just couldn't come down front or it's something that you couldn't mention publicly, we get it. If you'll, you just, without even saying your name or something, just, just kind of raise your finger and, 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 and I'll, I'll see you. I'll see you. See you. Thanks. Okay. So we see, we see you wave, sister. If you have not made that connection to the Lord, if you hear his voice today, why don't you come on down and, and, and answer? Pastor Dave is, is, uh, is here. Why don't you just come on down? So during this time, I'm going to walk down and, and pray. I, I appreciate you uh, all being so kind and, 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 and patient staying with me today. Learn a little bit about sheep. So, worship Pastor Rhonda, if, if you'll if you'll lead us in a, in a song, we'll we'll just come down and maybe pray together.